This is the Video Junkyard Podcast. A place that appeals to your deepest and darkest fantasies. The dead whose haunted souls hunt the living. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. From this nightmare world emerges a fearsome half-man, half-ape with the strength of 20 demons. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Video Junkyard Podcast. This actually happens to be episode number 88, 89, I don't remember. Anyway, it's getting up there. Uh, with me, as always, are my friends and co-hosts, Joe and Ryan. How's it going, guys? Pretty good. I'm alright. Yeah, I'm doing alright. Yeah, it's... Good. Uh... I wish I, I could say the same. It's been a hell of a week for me, just uh, getting over a flu, and now I feel like I'm... Either having like a sudden burst of allergies or the cold or whatever, and it just kind of like perfectly blended into getting over, you know, this like awful flu that I had the past few days and my kids had, you know, and um, so that's great. It just keeps on coming. Uh, I think I know what you need to do. You need to light some candles, put on some mood music, and bang some Benadryl. That's what you need to do. Bang some Benadryl. Yeah, yeah bang yep. some Benadryl. I like that. that mm-hmm. I'm going to put that on but a But I, I, I also think over the last like, <laughs> 88, 89 episodes, I'm sure uh, the audience has noticed a pattern where if we're not yeah. doing the video junkyard uh, weather report, we're doing the video junkyard health report. Uh, oh, in yeah. which there's a pattern between having kids that are sick and then getting sick ourselves. Oh, no kidding. And yeah, I'm doing I've the never same gotten, thing. <laughs> I thought my immune system was really good until you know we had, I had kids, and then found out well, well they no, took it, was it just from I you. wasn't hanging around kids all the time. <laughs> yeah. so. I, I got yeah, so. I got a, a goddamn ear infection a year ago. I'm like I haven't oh, had yeah. an ear infection since I was like seven. <laughs> my kids used to get them a lot, and all of a sudden I'm getting them, and then my wife got them. I was like, what the hell's going on? How do when do, how do I suddenly get an ear infection? <laughs> You're like getting older. Thing. You're gonna die. Shut up, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, totally it's not being on what? fleek right it's now. Fleek. Yeah, <laughs> we don't yes, know what exactly. that means. I don't and know. moving on from there, because we had a good segue until we went into the you know on fleek conversation again, which I'm just gonna leave. Fleek still works. <laughs> does it? Um, That's the mystery. In a way, yeah, I can does. explain it, it but I don't have I the energy. Yeah. Anyway, speaking of getting old and going to die, um, we are talking about a movie that's all about people trying yes. to stay young, and that um, movie is 1992 Robert Zemeckis film Death Becomes Her, starring well, starring a ton of people, but predominantly uh, Bruce Willis, Meryl Streep, and Goldie Hawn as the uh, three main characters. To be young at heart. Some people will go to any length to stay young forever. Is that someone? It's Madeline Ashton. Oh, she was a big star in the 60s. I thought she was dead. Oh, madam, you look younger every day. Thank you, Rose. But Madeline Ashton and her old friend, Helen Sharp. I've lost men to her before. Mad Hill. Are about to go <laughs> too far. Of magic. Drink that potion, and you'll never grow even one day older. Bottoms up. No warning. 
Now a warning. Siempre viva! Live forever! Ernest, I'm in the morgue. They think I'm dead. You are, but you're not. Are you telling me it doesn't hurt when I do <laughs> this? It doesn't hurt. She's dead! She's dead, Ernest. Now he's dead. He's dead? <laughs> Ernest is dead? Everybody's dead! <gasps> Pushed me down the stairs. I'm so sweaty. I don't think it's sweat, honey. I think you're defrosting. It's a lie. Universal Pictures presents Meryl Streep, Bruce Willis. It's a miracle! And Goldie Hawn. Look at me. I'm soaking wet. Death becomes her. I just have to make a telephone call. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, let's get a brief synopsis of this real quick and I, um, get that straight from the back of the DVD box because I'm old-fashioned. Oscar-winning actress Meryl Streep and Goldie Hong star with... Bruce Willis in Robert Zemeckis's outrageously entertaining comedy about greed, vanity, sex, immortality, life, and death. Isabella Rossellini is a beautiful enchantress who changes their lives and deaths forever in this hilarious dark comedy with groundbreaking special effects that the Chicago Tribune calls diabolically inventive. So yeah, death becomes her. And you know what? Until rewatching this, I totally forgot that Isabella uh, Rossellini was in this. Yeah, me too, actually. And I, I don't know if I really knew when i had seen this years and years ago had you know like who she yeah, was. had any idea really who she was but yeah i had forgotten that was her i remembered the character but yeah yeah that's where i'm at i remember the character but i did not know who the hell that was until i looked it up last night yeah yeah but i've also never uh watched blue velvet so ah mm. that's for another I night think, <laughs> I, th I think the only honestly i'll be honest the only um Oh fuck! What's his name? David Lynch. David Lynch. David. Dave Lynch. David Lynch film I've ever watched is Dune. Oh well, that's not even <laughs> willingly. I, I still enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's almost like saying the only time. Tim Burton movie I've seen is Planet of the Apes. Yeah, or something that's just Ooh. totally <laughs> off off of his regular flavor. I mean, not entirely. Yeah. Dune's got a couple of things that are. Yeah. Oh, it's it's deliciously awful. Um, yeah. in the greatest way. Sorry. Anyways, no, that's moving okay. on. Other movie. Um, so yeah, as we said before, 1992, directed by Robert Zemeckis. Um, this is one that I remember seeing uh, probably right around the time it came out um, and liking a lot. Of, I don't know what it was about it, probably the special effects and just kind of the quirky, dark humor of it because I was kind of into... It was, I, I believe, maybe even the same year, but I believe this was close to the same time that like... Um, the first Adams family movie and some of the other uh some other kind of gothic you know kind of uh, dark, dark like comedies kind of dark comedy. yeah were coming yeah. out and this one kind of fit right in that vein and it also had kind of like groundbreaking special effects and um so it was one that I remember liking a lot I also remember liking it enough that I like rented it and like took it over to a friend's house and like tried to show it to him and I don't think I really got a reaction out of anybody else, but it's one that I kind of liked a lot. And then, like a lot of the movies that we choose to revisit on the Video Junkyard podcast, it's one that I didn't see again until, you know, like last week. So I probably saw this when I was, you know, 
12 years old the last time I watched it. Uh, always stuck in my mind, though, is one I always remembered. But um, what about you guys? Were you familiar with this movie? Like, did you see it? Yeah, I, I think I saw I rented it right after it came out because um, it was it was pretty there's a lot of buzz about it, especially for the visual effects and the cast. You know, th- this wasn't your typical horror movie cast, right? These were big name people. It was you know, Bruce Willis, Goldie Hawn, Meryl Streep. And so it was getting a lot of attention. Um, and it was kind of up my alley anyway. It, it was a dark comedy with some horror elements to it. Uh, and so I did remember watching this early on and liking it, but yeah, I don't, I had not seen it in, you know, definitely the last 20 years or whatever. I haven't seen it probably since it came out or shortly after. What about you, Ryan? Were you familiar with it at all? With uh, Well, it's, it's interesting because yes, I am, but it's one of those weird, which I always, I feel like I always tell these movies of my weird childhood growing up, but it's part, this movie was part of those weird movies, like same with the Brim Stoker's Dracula. Like, so I was three when this movie came out, two or three, depending on what uh, month I get, I didn't look that up, but 92, I was definitely two or three. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was one of those movies, like sometime between two and four that my parents rented and I remember the 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 hole in the stomach scene <laughs> i remember the the weird uh um enchantress and like i remember essentially the weird eyes from like um oh, what's goldie her name Han. goldie <laughs> Hawn. like and those things stuck with me and then this like that was it so it was a movie i didn't really watch of course as a kid but throughout my childhood it would be on someone else's tv and it's always those same few scenes <laughs> so i never this is the first time i ever actually got to see the movie in its entirety okay. so i mean that's it <laughs> so this is kind of like one of those like seeing it for the first time all over again <laughs> it is just seeing it completed for the first time yeah <laughs> so yeah. yeah it really like it, it had been so long since i'd seen it i i didn't remember significant plot points i remember the basic gist of it like yeah same you know like uh like uh two really vain women and they take a potion that allows them to like live forever but that's not really the plot it you know there's more to it than that yeah well it's funny ryan you mentioned like the special effects scenes and that's always what kind of stuck out in my memory too like you always remember the the hole through the middle and the um the neck the neck yeah especially her kind of flinging her broken neck around which is uh kind of like delightfully gruesome for such a mainstream film but um yes (laughs) talk a a little bit about that more uh in a little bit but um i did want to touch briefly we talked about you know the kind of stacked cast that it has and and um it's kind of interesting when you look at in retrospect like where the careers of like bruce willis and meryl streep goldie hawn maybe to a lesser extent um have gone on to and kind of where this movie fits in their filmography and i guess what really strikes me is now obviously meryl streep is was already an uh, oscar-winning actress at this point but go, goes on to become the most oscar or most oscar-laden actress of all time i believe and um this is a movie that's kind of like dead dead in the middle of her you know career as she's uh, kind of exiting her stage of being like young actress and uh, entering the you know latter part of her career in which she's really shined so um 
I do think you see like middle-aged plus. Yeah, and I, I think you you see a lot of, um, and I know that she's made some comments about this not being a particular favorite of hers, um, but mainly for the special effects, like yeah. just performing for the special effects bored her, and I can totally understand why. Yeah, yeah, and that's what she said is it just didn't give you much of a chance to do a whole lot with it because you had to stand in one place, and it was more about how you held your head or standing in the right place or moving your arm the right way or something um, that she found exhausting and kind of dull. So, yeah, I mean, where do you guys set this in uh, respect to those two actors? Or is there anything here that... that, that you know bruce or meryl bring to it they build on moving their career forward into its next phase well funny enough this is the movie that i actually recognize uh meryl from oh, yeah <laughs> uh this is the first movie i've ever seen her in from when i was a kid of course like i said so i would always go back to this movie and if i saw her anywhere else as for bruce willis i always forgot he was in this movie mm-hmm. and that's because bruce willis isn't who we know Bruce Willis to be like he plays this wimpy kind of just um just mess of a man uh um and I love him for it this is one of my I think this is after watching this movie I can tell you this is one of my favorite Bruce Willis uh non-masculine roles he's ever been in Mm -hmm. uh and he needs to be in more non-masculine roles but he went with that fucking route of course but it's he's a fuck he's great in this i i think this is my favorite performance from him <laughs> uh, i I, th- I like actually all the, the the cast especially the three main cast members in this i really love them because this is so non-traditional mm-hmm. for the three of them with i guess yeah. goldie hawn would be the closest because i mean she does stuff like overboard which is some like kind of offbeat comedy stuff but this Nothing is like a darker goes, more yeah. horror movie yeah. for her. It, it yeah. is, but it's so it's still darker yet and there's a lot of effects, there's a lot of prosthetics and stuff. There's some great makeup and you've got these very well-known, very good actors buried under makeup in this. Um and I really liked that about it. But yeah, I I even kind of noticed watching this and all these memories coming back and stuff and it it I it kind of dawned on me that you know what sometimes when you watch films when you're a kid um you you have a tendency like and you see a a certain actor or an actress at a certain age they kind of become timeless in that age like to me Meryl Streep is always this age mm-hmm. because this is one of the first movies it wasn't the first movie I saw her in but I started seeing her in movies around this time yeah same here. same and with it wasn't Goldie. until later I went back and saw her in her younger years in films right older films and now I'm you know now when she's on in a movie she's this incredibly prestigious you know she's up there with like Helen Mirren right yep. um so like she's always kind of been this age and even still this movie seems so weird for her because it's so goofy and strange um you know there was a simpsons episode where she did a voice the one where reverend lovejoy's daughter jessica is a total creep (laughs) right Mm -hmm. um and i i've always known that but i've never been able to hear meryl streep's voice even though i know it's her it just doesn't sound like her in this movie though you can hear it yeah especially the way she taunts bruce willis and stuff like that it's very childish um i i it's unfortunate that jewel that um that meryl streep didn't really this isn't like a lot of good memories for her making this because she's really great in this you can you can tell it's it's such a, a stretch for her and i wonder if a film like this was made without the effects I, i'm curious to see how she'd run with that character yeah because she does a lot with it anyway and it's pretty funny so as far as where it fits in their careers, I think it's it's an interesting time where they are 
they're established enough to be trying something new. Kind of like Tom Good. Hanks, you know, he went from doing comedies to dramas and there was that transition. Well, Bruce just did like just did Die Hard around this time. So he this is before he really set into that action hero. Mm-hmm. Like he did it, but he wasn't set into it. He still cuz he also did Honeymooners. Yeah, he'd been doing so, moonlighting and stuff. Moonlighting, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Honeymooners is a completely different fucking yeah, concept. I'm two beers Bruce, in, mind Bruce you. Bruce Willis's but, yeah. uh, performance here is is interesting and, and i'm glad that you said how much you liked it ryan because i i agree with you and i think it, it it's my favorite one from him ever it, like this is the only time i ever really loved him in a role harkens back to a time when like that i don't think people remember now that bruce willis was actually a very versatile actor that didn't just do action movies like he was in all right. kinds of stuff he was in comedies he was in rom- uh romantic comedies he was in um you know and action films and this he was kind of a leading man that was in everything and then at some point like he became that old, you know, bald action <laughs> dude, and he has been like pigeonholed into that like ever since. Um, even the comedies he's I in, I suppose there's six, like sense, the whole nine yards. But... Yeah, six cents, I suppose. But I, but he, that's even old enough now that that kind of fits into this realm when he was still doing different things. Um, so yeah, it kind of brought me back to a time like, oh wait, hey, Bruce Willis is really a capable actor that can do all this other stuff, and we forget that about him. Um, and I don't know, kind of makes you wish he, he you know, maybe would be offered. Kept some doing other, it. Yeah. And I don't know if that's his choice or what, but. Um. I feel like it is because he's, he, he did like looking at, I mainly am going off of his fucking, uh, was it the Comedy Central roast? But just before that, like just looking at like where he at is in his personal life and, and career. I think he's definitely one of those. Well, this is around the time that the actors like if you have a, like a niche, you, you, you drain the fuck out of it because that's the only way to keep active in hollywood yeah um which so that kind of would lead to the next question yeah. <laughs> uh, about the hollywood glitz but briefly with going back to bruce willis is like i think he, he just makes more money and gets more attention as the action star he he attracts more audience because this movie this movie didn't do great and this movie attracted a cult bruce willis probably went for like you need to do more of that just just throws butts in seats you know what i mean so he's good at what he does to a certain extent but there's there's obviously so much more he could could be doing unfortunately and i do see shades of like later characters in meryl street performance especially her character in um devil wears prada i see moments of um of that character here already too so um interesting just to see her yeah building on that and it like joe said i i'm amazed that she feels like she was limited here because i don't ever feel like her performance feels that way but anyway um she's just that good yeah <laughs> yeah that's i think that's absolutely yeah true. and actually just just taking a quick glance at bruce willis's uh filmography i mean he started out with things like moonlighting on tv right with the comedies and he had a couple of minor roles but it was in things like blind date um, you know, which is like a romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, 88, he did Die Hard. And that seemed to be what started him into the action films yep. for the most part. Because um, he was still doing like Look Who's Talking and Look Who's Talking 2, Die Hard 2. And then it, then we get into the Hudson Hawk, Billy Bathgate, uh, Last Boy Scout, all that stuff. And he doesn't really do much beyond weird action movies yeah. um, for quite a while. No, nah, and he, you know, that, yeah, so he's gone on and he's, you know, he's still like this image of, of action films, which is fine. But uh, it's cool that he kind of went back to this one a little bit later. Yeah. This yeah. this comedy. And um, so I don't know. I mean, he, he did some 
kind of offbeat kind of movies that you know like but still somewhat action based yeah so but yeah so it's a departure but more of kind of a revisit for him i guess yeah so robert zemeckis directed the film and david cope and martin donovan wrote the screenplay and they were kind of criticized by critics at the time um saying that their satire um is what was the actual quote from the um review um zemeckis's satire on the other hand is as hollow as the world it mocks um and that is referring to kind of the commentary the film was making about hollywood kind of glitz and glamour um what do you think the film was trying to say about like hollywood itself and the you know glitz and glamour and you know keep in mind this is like very much in the um age of really at the birth of the the revolution of plastic surgery well it's in it's in early 90s california beverly hills yeah yeah it's yeah well this movie is definitely a beverly hills meets frankenstein movie so in the greatest way possible but i i'll be honest with you um i mean other than frankenhooker but yeah (laughs) uh, (laughs) i mean that could be like i don't know a cd um never mind i won't go in that fucking anyways (laughs) i don't want to insult brooklyn um I would say, like, at, like, watching this as a millennial and now now entered his 30s, um, I don't, I think it, I don't, I don't see it as, like, a take on ho- just Hollywood glitz and glamour. Like, it's there with one of the characters, but just vanity and just, um, I mean, uh, just, just toxicity in general. Mm-hmm. <laughs> with these with all of these fucking characters all three of the main characters are are essentially awful people like near the end you do kind of feel for uh bruce's character uh his name's slipping my mind right now it's uh oh. ernest menville ernest. dr ernest, ernest menville. yeah yep. that's it yeah ernest i don't uh ernest is a tough tough <laughs> name for this character well because he is clearly just as like given into um uh lust i would say more so than vanity he, he he's definitely mm-hmm. like he lets his <laughs> he thinks with his pants and that's what made his life so miserable uh he, i mean he's the only character that really learns a lesson and li- at the end of the movie really so yeah. that's fine but uh other than that i'd say um there there is like this diva aspect of it um which i think is the, what's so entertaining and i th- i don't know whoever made that review about it like it's just as hollow like i think they took a personal offense to this because i'm like yeah this is perfect this, like <laughs> does it mock this yes but it should it's ridiculous yeah. <laughs> like these people do kind of exist um even if they're not hollywood stars i think about nowadays nowadays with um people who try to become popular on youtube or or what's the new uh thing there's instagram but i'm thinking about something else beyond that but you know what i'm saying like they're still now so in society this idea of vanity is 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 up to even further and you get less time to be famous because of how fast information is going like you literally get 15 minutes of fame nowadays so i think it fits i think it ages ages well in its own weird way so i don't know that's my personal what about you joe do you think it does it work for you i I, it, it does it really does and i think the you know we were just talking a moment ago about like how the cast is pretty offbeat for the this film right um 
but you know, like just unconventional. It's not who you'd expect to see in a movie like this. However, I think it's interesting who they did choose and when they chose them. Because um, I actually crunched the numbers on it, uh, which is a fancy, fancier way of saying what I actually did. <laughs> he has um, a watch calculator. I, I, I used my calculator, and <laughs> I figured out that Meryl Streep was f- in her early 40s when she made this. Mm-hmm. And so that means the early, the first half of the movie, not first half, but the first part of the movie when, you know, before it's been 14 years later, she's technically, you know, when she's a big star and all that, you know, she's supposed to be in her late 20s, early 30s. Yeah. And so then by the time where it's, you know, all this time has passed and now she's with Ernest and they hate each other, <laughs> she's in her early 40s. She's kind of supposed to be, or at least roughly, right? She was in her 40s when she made it. I think she's supposed to be in her late 40s or early 50s when that rest, most of the movie is taking place. Yeah. Well, Bruce's character uh, is definitely 50. Yeah. And they make they a comment that Goldie is Hawn 50. is 50. Cause like, I wonder how old she is. She looks great. Well, she's 50. You yeah. Know? So, so Meryl Streep is supposed to be 50 as well then, because they right. were, I believe they, they went to school together. And they aged her a little bit too in it, you know, with the makeup. So she's actually a 42-year-old actress playing a woman who's like 50, so a little bit older than she actually is. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, they got really good actor, a really good cast to portray something that people in that age deal with. Right, it's in your late thirties. Trust me, it's in your late thirties, <laughs> early forties. You start dealing with the. Tell me about that, Joe. What's I'm it not like getting being younger. I am getting older, yeah. and it's it is it is pretty eye opening. I can say, yeah. you know, saying what everybody who's ever been this age has fucking figured out. But it's it's kind of uh, you start seeing yourself by you know, a little bit more of the age that you are or closer to it, and that's a little a little jarring, and so. That's a thing that I think if people don't like to think about, they don't like to hear about. So this is a risky movie to make, especially making light of it, and in doing it in such a kind of a cartoonish, over-the-top way. So I can see how some people were turned off. Personally, I wasn't. I thought it was pretty ballsy, kind of cool. You yeah. Know? Right. Um, I'm really glad I'm rewatching this movie when I am, <laughs> because it does kind of poke fun at the whole like, of course you're going to get older. Yep. You know, why wouldn't you? Why would you expect otherwise? And these are all, you know, frivolous things. So the plastic surgery, this is before Botox, right? Um, which is just, the, that was the new trend instead of going in for plastic surgery. Just get Botox injections and make your face look like a fucking cat. Um, <laughs> you know, all that weird shit. And it's, I don't know, I thought it was, uh, it really did a good job of, of hitting those notes. So I, I think they were intentional and I actually think it was worth doing. Yeah. See, I always thought that the Goldberg Godfrey looked really worked. I don't know about you, Joe, but <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. Always look like you're like trying to take a shit. Yeah. yeah. Like you have a herniated cornea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think in general it works, and it's you know at the end of the day it's a comedy, and it, it's it's all fairly light in tone, um, even though it's a dark comedy. Like it, it, I think it's okay that this isn't like a like really really deep think piece it's just kind of like you know i like how it treats like this there's this hollywood kind of cult of undead that are um you know yeah. making their living their yeah. life you know in in the shadows who have all faked their own death which is kind of a funny thing towards the climax of the film when you get like little pop-ins by old celebrities um quick so. question though was 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 elvis was Elvis played by Meatloaf? Because it looked like he was played by Meatloaf. Am I wrong? You know, I never looked. Went to look who was who played Elvis in the film. I wonder. I'll look if, it up. Um... You keep going. You keep talking. I'll let you know. But yeah, no. I... There was another reference too. I'm trying to remember that Isabella Rossellini makes. 
Was it Mae West? Oh, maybe. Yeah. I mean, there was like, what, three or four. You had Elvis, Jim Morrison, James Dean uh, that had lines in the movie. Um, Yeah, anyway. But I I thought it was clever and funny. And it just... um, I didn't feel like like people like that really like detracted from it. Fabio's in this movie. Oh yeah, he was one of the Sorry. like mus- muscly Bod- bodyguard dudes. Yep. He was either Harry or Tom Dick. Dick or Harry. Incidentally, yep. can we talk about Harry Dick <laughs> being your bodyguard group? Yeah. Sorry. Um, oh no, yeah, no reason to apologize because whoever wrote the you know David Cope or Martin Donovan, one of those two, put a line in there where she said Harry Dick. That was not an accident. So. Um, no way that was. There was another one where all three of them actually go together, but I can't yeah, remember the Tom, third Yeah, Tom, Tom, Dick, and Harry, which is kind of an old like that's collo- it colloquialism yeah. of any Tom, Dick, and Harry in Hollywood. I don't know. Anyway, it it's it's it's, it's all it's all like little clever stuff like that. I don't know. Um, but yeah, no, I didn't think it had to be some like big cerebral thought, you know, thought provoking thing to work in this in this context. So yeah, I agree uh, with both of you. And Elvis, sorry, very quickly. Uh, Elvis Presley was played by a guy named Ron Stein, uh, not yes. played by Meatloaf. Though okay. I will say, missed opportunity. <laughs> um, Carry on, sorry. So in general, like, do you guys um, enjoy dark comedy? I think I know the, the the answer to this, but it's the question I have. Uh, do you guys enjoy dark comedies? And did you find Death Becomes Her to be a funny or good example of that genre? And Joe, we'll start with you on this one. I love dark comedies, um, probably too much. Uh, I've, I've a, I have a pretty dark kind of a sick sense of humor for a lot of things. Um, it does change over time, but but I overall do, and I actually find this one to be a really good one, though one of the more tame ones. Yeah. Um, so it's accessible, I think, to some people or to more people, uh, which is good. I, I think a little macabre humor here and there is good for people. Um, I you know I I think some dark humor is good, so yeah this is a, a, one of the better ones and um for the fact that it's it's not offensive to some dark comedies can get you know questionable, uh but yeah I, I thought this one was actually pretty funny too honestly there's some really great lines and I'll I'll share my favorite moment later but um there are some really great moments in here that I forgot about or didn't catch the first time I saw it many many years ago. Uh, so yeah, this is one I think I'll I'll actually be be keeping in the collection for sure, for for just for some of those for lines and as a good example of a dark comedy. Yeah. What about you, Ryan? Um, I do enjoy dark comedies, but they're definitely um, dark comedies are a gray genre in themselves, which comes with certain types of movies because you may have a dark comedy that's like perfect enough where you want to rewatch it and another one goes just over that line I'm like i really enjoy that i never want to see it again yeah uh like click for example <laughs> i would say is kind of a dark comedy i don't think it's labeled as such but click makes you cry it made me cry anyways oh. uh where i'm like i don't want to watch click again and it's weird because this is a fucking adam sandler movie <laughs> it's just the way that one part of it goes mm. but that's not it's not a great dark comedy. but this movie i would say um is perfect dark comedy realm like i liked that we reviewed this i didn't know how much i was going to enjoy this movie because like i said like i just had bits and pieces of Mm -hmm. it from my childhood so now watching it 
I loved it. I love this fucking movie. I kind of like want to own it. Like it's like that's how much I enjoyed it. I'm like holy shit! And it's such a short movie by mm-hmm. today movie standards. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like an hour and forty minutes, so or somewhere around there. And it's just like holy shit. Okay, yeah, cool. <laughs> that was great. Like everything was perfect. So building off of this, um, the you know fact that we found this movie to be humorous. Um, do you kind of think that like slapstick or you know humorous violence is a bit of a lost art? in cinema and 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 i put that in quotations as it's art but like what i mean is like um there's definitely like a strong cinematic history for this style of humor if from everything from like the three stooges we think about looney tunes cartoons we kind of grew up on or all the way right up to like you know um the more like gore slapstick stuff of you know the evil dead films or you know things along of that like um is that something that's that's dead and gone? We don't see. I feel like we don't see a whole lot of that in in movies anymore. What what what's what's your opinion on on that as a style of humor? And um, do you think it's something we're we've lost as an art, or are we going to see a resurgence of that style of humor? I think it still exists. Um, I think of like Guardians of the Galaxy having elements of that actually like in certain in its own weird way i think it evolved i think that's what it like i think i think slapstick just evolved like everything else says it's still there i know it's still appreciated by uh movie makers today who still make their movies um and you can kind of see it in some some comic book stuff nowadays i would say Mm -hmm. um i mean even sam who knows like sam raimi may or may not like from this record since this recording anyways sam raimi may or may not um direct doctor strange and if he does i'm pretty sure that it's gonna be in there <laughs> oh, yeah. so and you know for those who don't know evil dead he's the one who made evil dead right. so yeah, you, I, think, I i i don't think slapstick's gone away i agree that i think it's evolved but i'm thinking just about everything will ferrell's in has elements of slapstick yes um the night <laughs> yes. of the museum movies have slapstick um you know there's there's a lot of pratfall still happening in films i don't think there's movies that you know it's not like three stooges where it's an entire that's the only style of comedy you're really getting um but it's like an accent in a comedy yeah but i think even um even some of the great comedies that you you hear mentioned there's an element of of slapstick to them um you know comedies that i think movies that are like brought down like if you were to do, you know, like AFI does their horror, 100 best horror films, I'm sure if you did a comedy one, maybe they have, and I'm talking out of my ass like I haven't seen it. <laughs> but, um, you know, you'd have like Animal House on there, you'd have probably, you know, Caddyshack, uh, Dumb and Dumber, and stuff like that. And there's, or even going all the way back to something like, you know, Bringing Up Baby, all of these are going to have elements of slapstick in them. They just all do. Yeah. Um, even the Marx Brothers, who were more of a witty, quick, fast-talking comedy there's slapstick in there a bit as well oh yeah and i think it's still in in films today uh, i think it's it's a cornerstone of comedy and i think it's a safe bet too because i know there's you know there was that era in the 90s where it was like too much violence for children and so much yeah looney tunes comic looney tunes cartoons are always going to make you laugh slapstick's always going to hit it's always going to work it's accessible I mean, I just went back since Terry Jones passed away. I've been trying to introduce my kids to Monty Python movies. <laughs> yeah. And they're full of slapstick. Young. I mean, oh my God. Just, <laughs> they, they've watched Holy Grail, and they don't really get all the jokes, but they get the slapstick. Yeah, like, That's like the, the first monks whacking themselves get. with the 
<laughs> books or yep. boards or <laughs> yeah yeah all of that i mean they they don't really pick up on the humor of you know like you know we're a, we're an anarchistic you know or an anarchistic commune collective you know they don't get the, the political reference stuff but yeah they get the monks hitting themselves on the head or you know people falling down or getting banged on the head with stuff and it's it's primal it's funny and i'm i don't think it's ever gonna go away yeah um so this movie its main legacy or what it's known for is its cutting edge special effects and in 1992 this um Death Becomes Her was actually the um, cutting edge or uh, the film where ILM first tried out its graphic effects processing machine that it would in the next year end up using to finish the special effects in Jurassic Park. Um, mm-hmm. So this is the basically the trial run that gives us eventually gives us Jurassic Park. This, this is the follow up film. So this technology uh, plus Dick Smith's makeup for the film um ends up winning an Oscar for Death Becomes Her for Best Special Effects. And was considered at the time to be kind of a, you know, mind-blowing, industry-changing special effects film. What's interesting now, I think, is if you go back and look at it now, the special effects still stand up. They still look very good, but it kind of seems quaint in a way that this was considered to be cutting-edge or that it truly was a revolutionary film. Um what are your thoughts on the special effects in the film and um, kind of the legacy? And do you think they hold up? Uh, Joe, we'll start with you on this one. Cause I know uh, you're probably I, what, the number one thing you want to talk about, but it, so, yeah, um, I loved starting, I guess with the makeup, I loved the makeup in this, especially when Goldie Hawn is going through that rough period where she's really, really overweight <laughs> and she's just buried under prosthetics. It's like on the, on par, if not better than Eddie Murphy in The Nutty Professor. Oh I yeah, mean, she's yeah. it's great. It's and it's absolutely hilarious. Um and then the the visual effects, yeah, I could see how these were cutting edge at the time and they're used pretty sparingly. I mean, that's kind of like going on about the amazing computer animation in Terminator 2. Yeah, in a couple of scenes. Yeah. You know. <laughs> um and then of course that one plays it safe by just doing like metal, liquid metal guy and in this one it's more or less, um, we're going to digitally superimpose Meryl Streep's face on some other stuff. And we have a few models in the background that are kind of out of focus, so they blend in with the scene well. Um, and so it works. It does work. It still holds up. But yeah, I agree. It's it's pretty tame by standards of, you know, nowadays when you hear about something being cutting-edge special effects, you expect it to be a, a, a spectacle. And I think that's why Jurassic Park still gets a lot more of the attention. Mm-hmm for those cutting edge even though this is the movie they were first kind of introduced in because that was that was um they were bigger spectacles than this um but it works really well in this and i think it does hold up pretty well um the only scene and i i'm almost embarrassed to bring this up that bothered me <laughs> is the scene when goldie Hawn gets the you know shot through her, her abdomen mm-hmm. and there's a giant hole and you're like seeing through it perfectly um and this is just me this is not a criticism of the film it's totally a self-criticism i was sitting here the other night going how the hell is her torso still upright they blew away her <laughs> spine thing i was thinking the same thought <laughs> like, i was thinking the same thought by like an inch and a half of, <laughs> of tissue, tissue soft tissue on either side 
what the? I mean, yeah, she should be uh, flopping like, around like a yeah. Meryl Streep can't totally, hold her neck but up, I'm, but you know, and, yeah. And then I'm thinking, yeah, but there's no way they're gonna make a movie like this <laughs> and literally have her like spine exposed, or they're gonna have her flopping around. That's just gonna be fucked up, right? So yeah, it's like really gory. I mean, also, a shotgun blast won't make a perfect circle like that. It's it's no, it's well, very it's, cartoonish. I was gonna say it's, it's, it's very the Looney Tunes thing right there, yeah. Like, you know, yeah. then I started like, then I go down the rabbit hole where it's like, yeah, but in Kung Pao, Enter the Fist did the same thing. I'm like, yeah, but come on, Joe, why are you comparing these two movies? <laughs> and then down it went. But I, I can say that was the only thing that kind of made me go, oh, come on, in this. But otherwise, no, they're great. Yeah. It's it's funny, and it works, and you can tell they're playing it off for laughs. Yeah, Ryan, it's you mentioned silly. the special effects as something that was memorable from your first viewing. What what did you think this time? Um. It is definitely aged weird. Like you can tell, it's it's the the hole in the abdomen is still well done enough. Like now I've seen like uh, people on Instagram show how you can do that with smartphones and shit, <laughs> like for a Halloween costume, which I thought was like, oh well, fuck that blew that out of the water for me. But like looking back then, I'm like, oh that's is great. The the superimposed Meryl Streep head though was always kind of off. <laughs> um, not always, but I mean like. Back when I watched it as a kid, and back when this came out, like it was, just, it was great. It was, it really was top of the line, and it always made me wonder, like, how the fuck did they do that? But uh, now watching it now, it's just like, okay, um, I see how they did that, and it is, there is like a, it is slightly off. Um, but I mean, they were working with this. This is the first time like this level of stuff has been done. It was early, so it's just like I don't give any quarms for that. Like I give it, it's still. It's still done tastefully enough. Like they like you're trying your best. And like who am I to fucking judge a movie in ninety two for its CGI? <laughs> <laughs> like like don't get me wrong, like I can I can be kinda harsh with those, but for a movie in ninety two, it's like nah. <laughs> nah. That's like making fun of the Velociraptors in Jurassic Park. I'm like, oh they don't look that real. Yeah. You missed the point of Jurassic Park then. But well, they still I mean, look pretty I, good. Like for nineteen ninety three. Yeah. And that yeah, anyway, sorry. I feel get... like I'm being baited to be triggered here. I'm just saying, you know. <laughs> I'm not trying. I wasn't. I was just using like one. a good like. But the reason why I say Jurassic Park is because it's well known for like groundbreaking special effects. But it there is still a level of like, okay, that part it looks aged by today's standards. Yeah. But I mean, like that's like you do have to like. Well, you got you know balance it out with what it is. It is. It is still cutting edge. It's still very fun. And if you let go and suspend your belief a little bit uh like you have to like what joe said same with me same with me joe about gravity collapsing that fucking hole of an abdomen um you're like you have fun like this is a live action dark looney tune in a way so it sticks with what eric was kind of bringing up yep yep um especially the shovel fight (laughs) oh god yeah um (laughs) yeah when this movie like really gets into when they both be you know both become dead and are just beating the shit out of each other um yeah, I mean, it just becomes a Looney Tunes cartoon, but right down to the perfectly circular hole blown through Goldie Hawn's body. Um, also, Meryl Streep's flopping neck, which is, you know, like I think we mentioned How earlier about... in, in the show, is just gloriously gruesome and, and funny. It's, uh, oh, it's And just like when she stretches her neck back into place, it's just so cartoony. Uh-huh. More than anything else, it's just so over the it top kind of and bounces weird. and it's like a spring. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's just like that's what makes this a dark Looney Tune type of. 
Uh, what about the transformation scene, though? What'd you guys think of that? Like when she turns young again. Um, I thought it was done pretty well. Yeah, it's pretty funny too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think <laughs> when you see her, I think she plays yeah, it so well. Like I don't remember there being a whole lot of like. I mean, I, I know they like tighten up the stuff. You know, the, the effects work, and you kind of see her go through the change. But she, she as an actress does a does more with it than the effects do. I think, but. Well, there's more practical effect elements. Let's talk about practical effects elements then. Duh, um, like I guess. like Dick, Dick Smith's makeup in this. I know Joe Joe mentioned that earlier, yeah. but yeah, the makeup's incredible too. Not just the CG. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think throughout the the makeups, prosthetics, uh, everything is to the, the modern. The aging eye, and de aging is done really well. Yep. I was gonna say to yeah, the modern and, and that, eye, that can that can be hit or miss too in movies. I'm probably more like the impressed way they with the, set up the, the hand is kind of awkward. It's very Evil Dead like where they when they show like the hands comparison mm-hmm. and the transformation. I'm like this feels like Evil Dead territory kind of mm-hmm. that level of kind of campy. But um, but when you look at the actual hand itself and then their faces, it's done actually quite well. But can I, I will mention one prop that really stood out to me, and I know it's a very simple prop. Um, I love when they introduce the magic potion and they mm-hmm. just stand it in place. And I know that's just like a simple magnet and strain situation. Oh, yeah. But just the the effect, like the way to have, here is a magical, like the, the, to establish like this this mysticism, this this level of like, mysterious yeah. potion yeah, I caught is that. you take this point this pointed uh upside down like um fucking uh pointed object and you just set it like a, like a pendulum almost and you just set it on and it stands up straight and like that yeah. just added to the it's atmosphere it's like almost like a top literally standing on its own yeah um, it, but really tall like a tulip it was yeah it's little subtle things like that which were actually pretty cool um and you know you mentioned in, like makeup too the the little cameos of James Dean and Jim Morrison and Elvis and stuff like that, um, you know the the makeup in, for those characters too was was really well done. Um, making Bruce Willis look like such a, a derp <laughs> yeah. was uh, was pretty amusing. And again, I I go back to like Goldie Hawn during her her rough patch in the movie is just so ridiculous um, that it's it's just one of my one of my favorite. Uh, costumes and, and makeup effects in the film yeah did you super quickly since uh, you were touching on kind of the the mysticism and the kind of the about the potion and everything we didn't we early on touched on is isabella rossellini's character but just kind of the whole general like vibe around her uh character and that she kind of lives in this creepy old castle she's got this kind of like vampiric you know immortality about her um Big beefcake like guy walking around. Yeah, it kind of gives this this. Um, I, I really am gonna like double down on the vampiric kind of element of of her and this whole. It it it's kind of what starts to give this film its like kind of more gothic tone that um, I think it without like the the imagery of of the old the old castle and like the like you said the potion bottle and the way that's handled and just just her performance um i think gives it this great kind of gothic atmosphere that um yeah you say you say gothic and i know what you mean by it but you know what i found interesting about that is everything about her aesthetic reminded me of like the 1920s slash 30s like the flapper girl 
but not only that like the the time where they're like going like the the um exploration of egypt and those type of events you know like indiana jones is based in the 1930s mm. like that level of like the just the way the decor is set up and the way the character is the what she wears it brings like an interest and element where you have gothic but it's using these 1920s um elements in a way that it, it, it makes it creates its own like story about who this character is yeah. without actually telling you a damn thing yeah because she says she's like in her 70s so i think around that time like yeah 1920s she would be from the 1920s yeah, like a yeah mm-hmm. silent film actress possibly that yeah possibly yeah um no, but did you guys notice the the use of marble throughout the movie yeah i noticed there's a lot of it in all, all of the like home sets for sure it, yeah. like it, it their home like uh yeah everybody's madeline's <laughs> home is marble um the the sorceress's home is marble it kind of gives it even even the the morgue itself uses marble walls which i when when i saw that part it linked it all together I'm like oh these are crypts these are all fucking like well-made crypts uh, yeah. yeah yeah essentially everything's a mausoleum yep. you're living yes, in a, a mausoleum, mausoleum. yep yeah, I, yeah. Little little flourishes like that make it a you know, I think a little it kind of, smarter film than it symbolic. might get credit for. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, it's a uh, it's an interesting one. It's um, what I did find another thing I found interesting when reading about this is that it's had a cult following pretty much since it was released because it when it came out it kind of got mixed reviews like a lot of people were really impressed with it visually but kind of found it lacking you know and like we talked about people finding the kind of the, the commentary of it a bit lacking um this movie was um kind of latched onto by the lgbt community and basically mm-hmm. who found um there to be a lot of like got really attached to Madeline and Helen as characters and kind of the idea of them like struggling through, you know, death. Basically the, I think basically what they go through post earnest in this movie, which only takes up a very small portion of the movie, but kind of builds them as characters that uh, really appeal to the community. Um, I thought found that really interesting because I don't, I don't like when I watch it, you know, even before like reading about it, even just recently watched it. I don't, I don't feel like it's something that's like screaming, um, LGBT movie, you know, whatever it do. Not that it has to be, but once I read that, I was like, Oh, I totally can see that. Like how that's kind of a, uh, cool thing. And then it, it, it turns into, you know, it's become a kind of a cult classic in the community. I guess RuPaul's drag race did an entire, um, show, like one of their seasons, mm-hmm. uh, based on, on this movie. So like, it's, it's a pretty big deal. Um, it shows during uh, pride week, they do drag shows based on the costumes and characters. And so a totally like kind of cult following and legacy that this film has that I was totally unaware of. This is just something I loved because I saw it when I was a kid. Um, so that's it's cool that that's giving it life and, and probably will continue to give it life for a long time to come. I don't know if you guys were aware of that, but I, I only became aware of that because I was reading about it on Wikipedia, but just wanted to mention yeah, it. So. And, and honestly, after revisiting it this time is when I became aware of its of its significance um, in the LGBTQ community as well. Um, and, and I think it's... Uh, I, I, I see the same thing. I can see how it fits. It's not one that I would have, have thought of. It's not one that I heard about being... And we've, we've reviewed other films, too, that also have 
uh, big followings in the community, uh, Jacob's Ladder being one of them. Uh, but this one for a little bit different because I guess in, in this case it's more of the, you know, they're they're villains, but at the same time they're kind of heroes because they're they're trying to to beat aging, right? They're they're trying to to grab a hold of being beautiful, and being fabulous, fighting for and, beauty, right? And yeah. um, you know, and, and yeah, I, I'm reading a quote in here where they talk about it. They mentioned the the quote from Ginger Rogers. That's the other uh, celebrity that's referenced in the movie is Ginger Rogers. Oh right, um, <clears throat> yeah. But yeah, I could t I can totally see it. Uh, but it was just not one that I I was aware it was uh, so significant in the community. But I could totally see why, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um. So you guys have a favorite moment of this movie? This is something I've always wanted to include in our review that we should probably be including in review shows. But <laughs> um, huh. finally got a chance to like remind myself to to get there. But yeah, what's your favorite moment of Death Becomes? I, I would say for me it's when um oh god i think it's when helen or goldie hawn is in the mental institution she's in the psych ward and they're in group therapy and you know everybody's there's like the, the camera does the pan and it's all your your stereotypical psych ward people like the people that are scratching and kind of twitching and you know staring off into space and then you've got helen doing her her ringing the handkerchief thing she always does and it's like all right helen is there anything you want to talk about today and she gets quiet and says madeline how everybody just freaks the fuck out and she's <laughs> like the god house. damn yeah. love that and like yeah. the idea that the um the counselor in the psych ward is going to pull her off to the side while everybody is just screaming madness because you get the impression that everybody screaming outside of that office is still doing it because of her. Yeah. And actually, like, chews her ass out. Like, all these years of therapy, you're not even a pound lighter, and you're doing all this stuff. It's like, that would not work today. I don't think it would have worked then. But it's just... No, it's, it's one the of worst therapist ever. It, it is, but I think it, it just it's used to kind of show how ridiculous and obnoxious she's become with this obsession yeah but that's that's my favorite part of it is just when she kind of coyly says madeline and everybody goes god damn it and just loses it <laughs> what about you ryan um this this whole movie is uh, like honestly like so, it's full of so many wonderful scenes um so it's kind of hard for me to choose uh, naturally, like their fight scene, yeah, um, is the one that stuck with me the most throughout my life. Being aware of this, that's the that's the that whole segment is what I remembered. But I haven't rewatched this. Um, I I really enjoyed the plan to kill Madeline dream sequence. <laughs> that kind of forms like the way that they so so when Helen is is telling Ernest like the plan on how to kill Madeline, they do this whole cutscene where it's kind of shot like a, like a planned dream sequence situation where they're actually shown the plan in motion as she is describing the plan. And that, that was just hilarious to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's, it kind of, you know what it kind of reminded me of? It kind of reminded me shot of Sean of the dead, Sean of the yeah. dead. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, where he's talking about like yeah, their plan to go to blow the... over, <laughs> yeah, and go to the pub, and they show each scene of their plan. It's this. <laughs> Sorry, Ted. A Anyways, fantasy montage, yeah. Yeah, and so that little bit was funny, and uh, I'm gonna quickly do a part, another one, and that is, it's a very short one. It's when Ernest is 
drinking and he's approached by one of his former clients. So if anyone doesn't know in the movie, like he's a top when he's when they start out, he is a fucking like brilliant plastic surgeon. And by the time, like 14 years later, he's down to like uh, he's pretty much a, like he reconstructs uh, corpses. Yeah, it's pretty much so the whole theme of that throughout the movie is perfect uh, and poetic. Uh, but he's brilliant at fixing up corpses and making them look lively. And so my one of my favorite bits is when one of his former clients comes up and says, you said, did such an amazing <laughs> job on my aunt or grandma. She looks, looks so lively and the most beautiful she's ever looked. It was a shame to put her on the ground. What was your secret? And he's just like, oh, okay, I'll tell you. Uh, and he just spray pretty much paint. says, it's spray paint. <laughs> it's like, oh, I just went to the hardware store and got spray paint. It's perfect. <laughs> and he's like really feeling proud of himself. And they look, and he look, they, so they zoom away from her as he's talking about like this, like he's finally happy to talk about something. Like he's miserable. And he's just like, yeah, you know, I come up with this really cool way of doing this thing. It's spray paint. You can find the shades. And as he's talking, they pan back to her face and she's looking in disgust and like just walks away. <laughs> <laughs> like, I re- yeah, like, that scene got me too, just because like I've, I've been in a situation like relatable to that where somebody asks you a question for a totally different reason and you nerd out. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and it's almost like because she's kind of hitting on him in a way. In a way. Yeah. She's not just talking him, yeah. about like she's flattering him. She's flirting a little bit. Maybe not full on hitting on him, but she's flirting with him a bit. You know, she's like, oh, wow, you're so amazing. I'm so impressed with you. And he just totally nerds out with shop talk, <laughs> something that you just shouldn't talk about in public. And yeah, is that kind of um, disconnect uh, being that again, big of kind of a derp? Uh, so yeah, I love that. Yeah, you know how I read that. First off, Joe is right, and as a person like uh, who claims to be an artist, um, I've had to have those conversations where I really geek out about how I did something, and people just what. But the way that I read that scene uh, goes back on the theme of vanity. Where you're just like, you did such an amazing, beautiful job with a person that I love. What was this elegant, brilliant, <laughs> beautiful way? Because when you when you see how like plastic surgery is described, it's just like, we're going to do these important incisions here. And we're going to remove these bits here. And they, they kind of show that bit when he's describing like doing a surgery at one point like they 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 make they 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 uh romanticize it and that's just how like all plastic surgery kind of i feel like works like they romanticize more so than try to tell you the every day but he doesn't just tell you the every day of an operation he just flat out tells you like oh it's like it's like regular maintenance i just went to a hardware store and that theme is carried throughout the movie when when the when the when Helen and, and Madeline have to take care of themselves and they're talking about going to the fucking, like, I got to go to the hardware store and get uh, uh, Pantone number two. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're referring to, like, a type of, like, tone for their skin color. And it's just, like, the way that they turn beauty, with, with that scene and other scenes, the way that they this movie turns beauty into just regular upkeep, like you would with a fucking house. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's what also ties, and I want to say this earlier, ties to the gay community in terms in terms of drag, in terms of the drag community. I meant to say. Yeah. Because that uh, that level of upkeep to to create um, 
your your persona the 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 who your performance and like that every day like i just imagine like that's why maybe why it picked up is like this inside joke between um fellow queens who are just like yep that conversation we just got that drama but at the same time you got to get the shit done <laughs> like it's like it's like watching two contractors talk about their shit at menards but it's like it's between two people talking about their makeup choices just to get through the performance or get through their their um beauty just to attain beauty yeah. in general it's not pretty and that's what's so funny about it well on that note we got to kind of wrap this thing up so as we do every time we will uh get a uh, final grades on this one what do you guys think for death becomes her uh let's start with you ryan oh shit okay uh <laughs> just got done talking a long long bit um i i honestly think this is a really well thought out film uh, like there, honestly, every plot detail is kind of covered for the most part. Like minus the whole hole in the stomach thing. Like there's a few liberties, but there's a mysticism to this as well. But when it comes to like them planning shit out, like the motivation of every individual action of a character is really well thought out. There's no like in-game moment where you're like wondering like how the fuck does that make sense like you actually do see a character look at an object and you know what they're thinking and then go forth like when uh Ernest is trying to escape you see why he goes onto the roof like you see the pipe and everything they show it like this this director did a great the writers and directors did a great job of explaining everything like how can they do the perfect crime like they go into every detail when they don't need to for such a short film with such a weird premise they go into extreme details um the comedy is on fucking point this is a monster movie in in the most glorious way i give this movie an a plus i can't i can't help but feel this movie's excitable and i'm excited i'm glad to watch it i know why it's a cult classic uh i love it cool joe cool um, I, I want to echo a lot of the, a lot of Ryan's statements. Um, I I forgot about this movie, and I'm I was really glad to kind of re, to, to revisit it. Um, it's it, being like I said before, being somebody who likes dark comedies, and I also like the use of practical effects. And maybe it's because I was raised in the '90s. I like my uh, I like my visual effects, my computer animation to be used sparingly and well, and I think this does a good job of that. It's very practical effect heavy and augmented with digital effects where needed, even when those digital effects were in their infancy, and even though it's a bit, it, it shows a bit that they're in their infancy, they're used very well, they're used in some really the gags still work. So even when the visual effects look a little dodgy, because they're so new and they're playing with them, the gag still works and that's the important thing to remember the gag still plays off it still has the, the same effect um i thought the performances were really good um i i love seeing established kind of generally typecast characters out of their element doing something else um like i mentioned tom hanks before it's why i still like to go back and revisit old 80s tom hanks comedies because we've all gotten to know tom hanks as this <laughs> a little more serious actor plays serious roles it's nice to see him in comedy same thing with bruce willis meryl streep and goldie hawn though goldie hawn has always done a lot of comedies um but yeah this is one that i i can see i, I can see the the significance in the uh in in the lgbtq community i could see i don't know why this movie isn't talked about more i do know it was it was 
you know, it, it had a lot of uh, uh, significance when it first came out because I, I remember vaguely like getting a movie from the video store and putting it in and there was some kind of commercial beforehand like for Universal Pictures and they always showed shots from this. <laughs> Especially yeah. like the next stretch scene um, as like a showcase thing. Uh, and I think it holds up and I, this is like a, I feel like a perfect example of a video junkie or podcast movie. It's something that it was a big flash in the pan when it first came out. It still has a lot of merit, and when you think about it, you go, "Oh God, I haven't seen that in years," and you should go out and watch it again. So I'm going to go ahead and give this one an A plus too. Wow, cool. Um, I'm I'm glad you guys enjoyed it so much because I'm the one that brought brought it to the table. It's weird because I think I might come in the lowest on this, but not low by any standards. Um, but yeah, no, I I think it's a super enjoyable comedy. It's really funny good example of like you said an accessible dark comedy uh never crosses too far into like the like super violent range but it's got enough in it that keeps uh you know it keeps it as a dark kind of like gothic comedy um gets silly in its best moments and um the hollywood like living dead plot i actually find works really well i think it's fantastic and actually adds a whole level of you know humor to the third act of the film as well uh performances are great um i don't know if i'd call it essential viewing for anyone but it's a great like it like you said the perfect video junkyard um movie because it's a kind of a curiosity it's a little bit of his time and possibly a little bit forgotten but something that definitely holds up so i think i'd give this one a b plus um okay possibly even an a minus but yeah it's, it's something i really like and i will you know Hopefully I won't wait another two decades to see it again because I, I definitely would like to revisit this one again in my life. It's uh, an enjoyable movie that I like a lot. I, I want to add to your, your when you made that comment, like, I don't think it's essential for everybody. I'm like, right, I think this movie works as a movie to surprise your friends with, to surprise a group of people with, and, like, no one's going to see it coming. Mm-hmm. It's perfect for that type of movie, the spring on to people. Yeah. Oh, yeah, this would be a fun one to show somebody who has no idea about it. Yeah, because they're gonna start out with like it's just some kind of odd romantic comedy drama thing, and then <laughs> all of a sudden it's like Bruce hard Willis turned on what the fuck lane, you know? It's kind of yeah. like springing like Evil Dead on people because people still don't like Evil Dead still isn't so widely popular. Or people have seen it, you can still spring that onto them mm-hmm. each Halloween, and I feel like this is the same. Like mm-hmm. you could throw this every Valentine's Day because of that fucked up love tri- triangle dynamic yeah, i mean right. it's mainly love with oneself but yeah 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 cool thank you eric yeah <laughs> no problem I, i'm joe happy and i, I really to... enjoyed ourselves yeah i am happy i got to revisit this one so it's one i always remember liking a lot and i, I still do so which is which is nice because that sure doesn't you always give happen it a b plus i sure still can't tell though if it's on fleek I'm pretty sure it is. I don't know. It's on is fleek, it? man. I would like to ask any of our audience, is it? Because we we were discussing before recording, we don't know what that means. So if you would please enlighten us, and feel free to share your opinions on Death Becomes Her. And you can do so, answer both of those questions for us, please, at Video Junkyard uh, Podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at the Video Junkyard Podcast Facebook group or the official Video Junkyard Podcast page. Or you can also tweet us at Video Junk Pod. We'd love to hear from you with any of your thoughts, 
questions, comments, criticisms, or witticisms, please drop us a line. And coming up on the podcast, we have a lot of great stuff. Beverly Hills Cop, Kingdom of Spiders, Demolition Man, The Velocipaster, the Netflix series Living With Yourself, and a lot of other really great stuff getting us well into 2020. Um, we're also going to be asking you for more audience picks as the days uh, go by and probably into the summer, as well as we're going to squeeze in a Razzie's special here somewhere, and we're watching Barry Lyndon, of course. So, um Please not for the Razzie tuned, special. So. No, no, not this year. But it's, uh, when when you year. say squeeze in a Razzie session, that just is a different <laughs> subject altogether. Anyways, we'll show um, you, Ryan. We'll yeah, show we'll, you. Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> we want to thank everybody for listening to the Video Junkyard Wait, podcast. Wait, and you're jumping, please. you're jumping the gun there. Well, you're jumping the gun. I got an really. ad. I know. I'm getting to it. Well, I was going to say, if you are, <laughs> we want to thank you for listening to Video Junkyard Podcast. And if you like this, please check out one of our new shows, Ryan. Is that me? Yes. I got I got nothing to say. Oh. Well, good night, I'm everybody. Kidding. <laughs> um, no, no. So if so, at this point, we don't. I don't know exactly when this this episode will air, but uh, we are my friend David and I. If you don't know, David was one of our guest speakers on our Star Wars prequel special. Another fucking two part special. You guys should be checking out. Uh, wink, wink, nod, nod. Uh, but we and he and I decided to do a, a mutant like gourd situation, like in Total Recall, like tumor with a face called TV Junkyard. Because um, we're creative, huh? I said, open "Yeah, you are." We're gonna share bloodlines, anyways. We, uh, if it isn't obvious, we review anything that's on the television. Um, so thus far, from this this taping, we've reviewed the Super Bowl, Marvel, Disney Plus uh, commercials, and Birds of Prey TV series. And uh, check that shit out. If you don't, we're still going to make it anyway. So, I mean. <laughs> so, just yet another chapter to add, or I guess another family member to add to the Video Junkyard podcast uh, overall. So, we'll always have our regular movie reviews like tonight. We'll also have our trash talk, um, our free rentals, and we'll also now be having the uh, TV Junkyard podcast as well. So, we're happy to welcome that into the community. And we hope that everybody tunes into all of the above and, you know, pick your favorites and share around widely. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're just going to review every goddamn thing. We yes. review TV shows, movies, your marriage, anything, really. <laughs> we're doing it. That's the next spinoff. We'll review your marriage. Just uh, yeah. <laughs> No, not really. We want to thank everybody for listening. I'm Joe Peterson. I'm Eric O'Branson. I think I'm Ryan Seiskel. <laughs> Have a good night. Night. Have a good night. Tragic, boozy, flaccid clown. Watch That's it, it. Flaccid. Watch what you say, man. Flaccid. Watch what you Flaccid. say, man. I don't have to take this anymore. You have been listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. You just can't let them go? Go. Stay on the road. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast and remind you to find us on social media on Facebook at facebook.com slash video junkyard podcast on Twitter at video junk pod and on Instagram as video junkyard podcast all one word want to thank you again for listening and keep digging who knows what treasures you'll find in the video junkyard. <laughs>